Welcome to Lead Today with me, Kalina. Let's talk leadership. Hey, welcome to today. I'm going to do my best to share about a concept that I think I've shared about a little bit in the past. It's just a it's a tough one. Today marks the anniversary of a really difficult day for me was delivering my my daughter who who died within me and even saying that out loud is like what <laughs> um you know death is such a necessary part of life and I'm going to really do my best to not just speak platitudes like that um and I think I have a good means of exploration because I've gone down a bit of a rabbit hole with the Black Madonna of Vinesidelm or Maria Bistrica out of Croatia. It's the Black Madonna, essentially, which is this embodiment of the Virgin Mary. But she's completely black and she's holding her child, which is, of course, Jesus. And there are other goddesses that I'd like to get into as well. So this isn't just a Christian phenomenon by any means. There's Kali and Isis and the reason I'd like to delve into this world of these goddesses is not, well, is to explain a concept that I think we've lost a lot in Western society. I think that in this book, and we're going to be going through the Black Madonna of Einsiedeln by Fred Gustafsson as the primary reference. So if you're interested, I have it here, if you're watching on video. Um, so we'll go through it. Why, why are we going to go through it? Well, or why do I feel that it's important? Well, in the depths of my own despair and difficulty this time last year, I really didn't know where to turn. And I found myself going back to what my family knows. And I learned to pray the rosary from my grandmother, who actually also recently passed away. And there's this comfort that comes from, I think, tradition and the known that is very masculine it's conscious it's and <laughs> so maybe we we take it back Jung Carl Jung we we did an exploration of his one of his works in previous episodes he has spoken a lot about the black madonna or the feminine the no the representation of the feminine within christianity at the very least being the fourth element that he has deemed to be missing with the trinity which is the father son holy spirit and he's his thought is that we leave out the feminine a lot in society today in favor of the masculine what is the masculine the masculine is logos the masculine is known the vast masculine is the light the masculine is logical and reasonable it's facts and the discussion here is that 
while all of that is good, we need balance because you can't have the pursuit of knowledge without the unknown. If you knew everything, you wouldn't have the pursuit of knowledge. Why should we care about the pursuit of knowledge? Well, if we're valorizing science and we're valorizing education, learning, then there has to be stuff that's not known or else, well, what would you need to learn or what would you need to research in science? I mean, we research things in science because there are things we don't know yet. There are facts, principles. I mean, whether you take this at the individual level that you as a person have things you know and don't know, or you take this as a collective where society, there are things that we know as a society and things that we don't know. And this whole argumentation is around, well, we need the unknown to have the known. We need both sides. And so that's as simple as I could put it if I wanted to encapsulated in all 30 seconds is look we've got masculine feminine light and darkness venus and mars logos and eros conscious and unconscious known and unknown it's this duality it's yin and yang it's this duality that has stood the test of time across multiple societies religions philosophies and philosophers you know it's this very basic principle that hangs in the balance and why does this matter when I when it comes to the anniversary of such a difficult day for me? Well, because I think looking at death, not in a morbid way, but looking at death is what has allowed me to consider what it means to live. It's the, it's the comparison of the opposite that has allowed me to examine being alive. And um, there's a really important episode coming out soon with Robert Green that I hope you'll tune into where we discuss more of this. And he's researching this extensively and I think is doing a brilliant job, which will come out in his next book. Um, My side of this research or where I have gone down the rabbit hole, and I I don't know all the ins and outs of what he's writing about exactly, but um, I think we had a fruitful discussion. And again, we'll share that soon and hope that you'll listen to it. But my, my investigation of this so far is on the side of the unknown of the unconscious of this idea of Eros of femininity and what it means, the unknown and unconscious mind being creative, earthy, dark, it's destruction in order to have birth, it's death and resurrection. You can't have resurrection without death. You can't have birth without death of some sort. Um, I've been reading a book about, just different women's stories through through their lives and um they they touch on motherhood and it's just interesting not a single mother that i know or have read about will say that they feel the same after they become a mother and um that's a whole other principle in and of itself when we talk about going from maiden to to woman to mother right? We go through this transformation and then into this wild, wise woman, wise elder type of matriarch, um, which is something else that from the feminine trajectory, we've abandoned a lot that wisdom of the wise elderly woman. Um, and we see that obviously in society's attempt to not age or not show age or to stay forever young. It's this rejection of the aging and the wisdom that comes through age and through experience. And so similarly, there's sometimes this rejection of the mother and rejection of, well, our own femininity and trying to, of course, fit into the the known, the logos, the, the reason. And there's nothing wrong with reason. But as a society, again, I think we've 
we're on this bent toward the known, the certain. And I think a lot can be found under the surface. And certainly in the past year, um, in my own pursuit of knowledge, understanding, healing of from my own personal experience, I've realized that I needed the experience in order to heal. I needed the experience in order to go down this rabbit hole without the experience of death within my own body and the pain and suffering. I would not have birthed this new insight. I, I wouldn't be who I am today. And a lot of people say that, right? They say, oh, I'm, I am who I am because of my struggles. And it feels really cheap sometimes. It's like, yeah, really? Are you sure? Or what? How? You know, people say like, I wouldn't wish this. I wouldn't wish what I went through on anyone. And at the same time, I know that there's this, <laughs> the only way I could have found the Black Madonna, the only way I could have found these insights about delving into the unconscious mind of looking at my femininity and supporting my clients to do the same, the shadow self as well. The only way that I would have gone down this rabbit hole, I think, or at least based on so what I know so far is because of the absolute pain I, I faced and, um, you know, let's, let's, uh, get into the book, I suppose. So, um, he speaks to the self is born from the unconscious. The woman is the bearer of light from darkness. Parents are a union into the child, which reconciles the two. So what are we saying here? Well, your yourself, your core self is born out of the unconscious, similar to how a child is born from the darkness of a womb into the light. It's this idea of birthing creative thoughts, birthing humans. It's this idea of creativity. And so women are creators of life through the womb, similar to how ideas are formed in the darkness. It's why a lot of creators do create in isolation and or it's kind of this cave, dark retreat kind of idea where we refine like a butterfly you know, a caterpillar in a cocoon in the darkness of the cocoon and then comes out into the transformed butterfly. Similar, I mean, we've got Joseph Campbell's work on the hero's journey. You've got to go through the trials and tribulations of life to come out the other side renewed and, and well, <laughs> evolved. The idea is that there's no other way. Now you could argue and say, well, what do you mean? You can't learn from good experiences. Why? What? Why does it have to be pain and suffering that sharpens you into somebody new? I think you can absolutely learn from good experience and the goodness is absolutely part of this equation. And that's the whole thing is I think people, it's like, oh, why are we focused on death and suffering? And why why does it have to exist? And if there was a God, why would there be suffering? But it's like, there has to be suffering in order to be a God. There has to be darkness in order to have light. You have to have the contrast. It's almost, I think it's just this, deep principle like i mean we have so it's also sun and moon is another way to conceptualize it i mean how can you have the day if you don't have night it's perpetual day you wouldn't have a distinction there would be no word for it if if that makes sense like if there's no distinction then well it's only one thing and if it's only one thing then it's how can you describe it 
we describe things in relation to other things in a sense, right? Or else there's no, like something is green because it's not brown or it's not red or it's not yellow. It's like everything has to hold its own specific place. That's the order. That is the, that masculine known is, is everything has its place. And so even with my coaching clients, a lot of people are really focused on the known. They're focused on their goals and their plans. But then what happens when you have setbacks and drop, you know, these things that happen that burn your whole idea to, to the ground um, or, you know, things that are unanticipated that just come to you. I mean, those are the unexpected, unplanned elements that always exist, no matter how well you've laid your plans, no matter how many resources you've dedicated to making the perfect budget or timeline. It is never, ever the case that every single little piece goes exactly as you thought it would. And that's the same thing with creation. It's the same thing with having a child. They, the, It's the eyes of the mother and the lips of the father or the ears of the father it's it's this kind of toss-up it's this russian roulette of the universe where part of it will work out as you planned and then part of it won't and that statement i mentioned with the parents are union into the child which reconciles the two the idea is that you take these two forces you take the unconscious and the conscious the masculine and the feminine you put them together and what's birthed by putting together the conscious and the unconscious is the child is this new awareness is this new level of spiritual understanding which reconciles the two the, the masculine and the feminine or the conscious and unconscious so this child similar to how we're saying could have the ears of the father and the eyes of the mother or vice versa you know it's the perfect mixture of mother and father into this new being and that that symbolic representation of mother father into child is the same idea as known and unknown into new awareness you take what's unknown this black box or big ocean dark ocean where there's so much below the surface that you can't see and things bubble up from the depths of the sea into your consciousness to the top right they rise to the top and they come into your awareness jung's work is focused very much so on dreams of course and so we get that awareness out of our dreams our dreams are these unconscious messages kind of coming to consciousness and we need to understand them the sim the symbolic nature of them in order to understand what our, where our unconscious mind might be guiding us. And so that's the whole kind of, well, my understanding of the whole premise of Jungian analysis is this process of individuation, which is, I suppose, this reconciling of, well, the known and unknown to understand the core self. The core self comes from the unconscious. It comes from, you know, that's sort of why, like whenever I talk with my mom about this and I think she thinks, well, I don't know what she thinks, but it, like, <laughs> When we chat, it always seems that she sees me as this adversary because I'm in the coaching field and in coaching, it is very known logos, it's action plan, it's step-by-step, step, it's what are your goals, it's what are we working on, What? where are you today, where do you want to be? And her work is very much so on the Eros side of the equation, it's unknown, it's irrational, it's out of the depths, it's soul work. It's the stuff that you can't put on a timeline and there is no end point necessarily other than deep understanding in this individuation process. And, and so she looks at me and she says, well, you want goals and timelines and neat little boxes, but this is not what this process is. And I mean, I totally understand that. I think 
for me, I love that coaching can be the, that known logos, the rational, the game plan that's always appealed to me. I've loved rational thought. I've loved control and order. I, I like, you know, that things can be in their place. At the same time, I've come to see how my my coaching of my clients and the way that I approach my life over the past year has absolutely blossomed and changed in a way that has been so difficult. I can't even express to you how hard of a year I've had personally, absolutely the most challenging year of my life, hands down, maybe even the past few years, but certainly this past year, no question has been door to door, like August 21st to August 21st, the hardest year of my life in a lot of ways. And I'll tell you that it's absolutely been a necessary part of my growth and maturity. And that's what this book echoes. Um, page 57, you know, talks about needing destruction, darkness, death to produce life and light. You have to burn something to its ashes for change to take place. And it's this idea of my old self had to be destroyed. Not not because I chose it. Honestly, I didn't I didn't choose that. I didn't want it to be this way. I didn't want it to occur the way it did, but it didn't matter what I wanted. It was what about what I needed. And so if you're facing anything in your life where you feel like, why me? <laughs> why me? It's very easy to go into this victim mode. Believe me. I get it. Um, but I think you can change that and say, okay, why me? What is this doing for me? You know, it's a why me with a different bent or a different slant on it. It's why me, why do I need this right now? What is this showing me? And I think if you can go and look toward it, um, another really interesting quote, which I really liked was um, page 107 of this book. They're talking about Kali, which is a Hindu goddess, also about creativity and destruction. She's absolutely this powerful force. I actually studied um, I studied Kali when I was doing my yoga teacher training. Um, and I was into my pursuit of knowledge around Hinduism and the life principles there. And I will say Kali is just this absolute strong <laughs> badass of a woman with skulls of her conquests, if you will. But it's, and people could see that and say, wow, that's so harsh. That's so brutal or not feminine at all it's vulgar it's dark but it is dark and darkness is feminine and this is if you think of it it's like a box with four quadrants okay and you've got like the virginal mother mary this like pure femininity that pristine pure virginal idea that we see and then you have the masculine like the prince or the knight that good masculine right the dependable logical strong man and that virginal woman representation but then you have these two others right and you have that kind of villain the the evil masculine you know that villain counterpart the one in all the movies that um is that let's say bottom right quadrant or that dark masculine if you will and then you have the dark feminine you have the feminine of kali of the black madonna the Black Madonna is literally just the Virgin Mary, but black, black in face and skin and body. The child is also black in that representation. And Kali is also very black as a goddess. Um, Isis is literally the same representation. She's holding her child and she's black and the child is black. It's almost 
identical the, the story is a bit different but it's almost identical to the black madonna is isis and so you see that dark feminine why do we need that well exactly why i said we need known and unknown we need the light and the darkness within the representation of masculine and feminine so you know why would we possibly need this woman that seems brutal and almost gross like you don't want to look at it well why do we need that well i saw a fly or this insect get you know that died on the driveway today and right away you've got ants piling up on top of it eating it away well what's going on why in forests does a tree fall and die and then there's moss and fungi and animals little insects eating up the tree Okay, Kalina, obviously circle of life. Yeah, we get it. Yeah, I know we get it. We get it to the point that we don't acknowledge it or we don't consciously think about it because it's so deeply ingrained. We just know it. Well, but do you know it? Have you really looked death in the eye and your own mortality? So the fact that you will die, but also the parts of you that have to die. We look at the shadow self as well. And this has, again, this type of work has really changed the way that I coach individuals, no questions asked. And this has been in, over the past year for sure, which is what are you not looking at? What is the untapped potential? Your untapped potential comes from the unconscious because it's untapped because you don't see it. So there's another exercise I do with clients a lot. And um, I learned it from a mastering coaching training that I am enrolled in that I think is just has come at the perfect time in my life as well. Everything seems to timing is just no joke. And actually Kali is um, the represent the goddess of time. And so the time that gives and takes away, it's this idea of again, creation and destruction, but of time, right? Like it can give and take time, give and take life. Life is time in a sense, like you have a certain amount of time in your life and you choose how to use it. And it's all sort of relative and we could go into really deep philosophical ideas, but anyhow, the Jahari window is something used with clients and it's essentially to understand what your untapped potential, that quality is. And so we'll use a word and we'll look at what is an excess extreme, that quality that you want. What is it an extreme? And then that extreme, we look at the positive opposite. So what's the opposite of that extreme, but that is in a positive light. That's in a useful light and that is the untapped potential is to tap into the part of you that you feel so for example some people want to be productive right but when they want to be productive and they're too 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 focused on that they become very controlling they become workaholics maybe they work too 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 much okay what's the opposite of working too much well not working at all but what's the positive of not working at all well perhaps it's calm or relaxation or um well being stagnant can be perceived as bad but perhaps it's like reflection you know if you're at a standstill you can look around and see what's available to you and so somebody that wants to be productive in that particular example their untapped potential the shadow the unconscious part of themselves is this calm or reflection and so for them to be the most productive they should go and reflect and so it's this every single client that I've chatted with that we go through this and whatever quality it is that they want time and time again, no questions asked that untapped potential. It's like, yeah, I need some of that. I had one client. It was like to become an educator or teacher versus the tendency to babysit 
right? And so it sounds like just words, okay? Educator or teacher versus babysitter, what's the difference? Well, everything, right? Because if you're approaching the people that you manage as a babysitter, you're obviously approaching them very differently from if you see them as a teacher or if you're showing up in that facilitator type of role, extremely different, extremely different from being a babysitter, right? And so everything in that exercise, of course, has to do with your own perception or your own perspective, because you you get to decide how to bring to life being a teacher or being, being calm or reflective. Um, but what it's trying to do is shed some light in a very quick way on parts of you that perhaps are unconscious or not seen or not known by you. And often we avoid our shadow. I had another client who represented their shadow. I mean, I've had clients that represent them in a bunch of ways. Some people see it as their younger self. Some picture. I had one client say, yeah, it's this picture of me when I was in college. It's that other people say it reminds them of like, um, Dobby or Gollum, these movie characters, right? It looks really dark and small or, Sometimes it can be a monster, um, but your shadow self, that exploration into your shadow, while it could be scary, and this is, I think, the whole point of this entire thing is to look, look at that uncomfortable unknown in the eye and go toward it. Because if you just stay in the known, there's no growth there. And if you, and you think that you're safe, that's the funny thing in the known, you think that you're safe with reason and rationale and having all the rules and all the structure, you think you're safe, except there will always be something to come in that'll knock you off your courts. And what are you going to do then? Like, what are you going to do when all of your best laid plans, they don't go exactly to plan. What are you going to do? You've got to be able to be adaptable to the things that show up along your path. And that's exactly what, I mean, listen, I'm just preaching to myself here. Like I'm not here to tell anybody what to do or that I've got this figured out by any means, because this is exactly what I need to tell myself and remind myself of is, Hey, I would love to control things and have them work out the way that I want them to. But guess what? They don't. That's a fact of life. They don't. And so how are you going to navigate that darkness? How are you going to navigate the unknown? How are you on your little boat on this ocean going to navigate all the scary monsters underneath the surface. Are you going to pretend they don't exist? That's one option, but then they can come up and swallow you whole. And when they do, you're going to be completely out of sorts and unprepared. Like me last year, really, you know, in the past few years, like it's not just last year, you know, it's like, I just thought, I thought I had this level of control that I really don't. And there's so much that's outside of our control and knowledge and that's that's one reason I love coaching is coaching focuses very strongly on what's in your control because there is so little, but of what little there is to control, my hope is to help people to control it, which is the thoughts that they have all day long. How are they talking to themselves? What is their internal dialogue and what actions are they taking? What are you doing with your small, small sphere of influence of your will? How are you choosing to go about your day? How are you choosing to treat other people? How are you responding to people in situations? That's it. And, and yeah, you'll mess it up and great because you're human, right? That's exactly the, the point is sometimes relationships end and need to decay and, and deconstruct or have space in order to be rebuilt again, or for new relationships to come in their place. I, I just had a, a friend that everything in her life came crashing down. It was just like roommate friendships, 
relationship, like everything was ending at the same time. And so that's Murphy's law, right? What can go wrong will go wrong. Why is that? Well, why is that? Because all of that destruction, all of that destruction, all of that death, the burning down of her life was necessary. And we see it, right? I mean, have you seen it for yourself? Have you seen people in your life? Things just come crashing down. It happened with my car accident. Things came crashing down around me to the point where I couldn't ignore it anymore. And sometimes it has to be that way. And hopefully, you know, you can be exploring and examining this darkness, this shadow, the parts of you that scare you or are feel shameful or unworthy if you can explore them before everything has to go crashing down good for you um you're better off than i was but we're all seeking this peace that comes from this feeling of wholeness everything is good a lot of a lot of cultures will speak to um the whole so the wholeness in Jung is the individuation you bring together all parts of yourself, but the cross, for example, signifies wholeness. But the wholeness that you must go the way of suffering and death to get to rebirth. That's like the Jesus just in two seconds. It's like you've got to go through the process of suffering and death in order to be reborn, resurrected. That's like exactly what Jesus on the cross represents. It's rebirth through suffering, redemption through suffering, through death of his body but death of self death and your own cave or your own suffering is exactly that unconscious that area where these insights are going to come to your life so whatever the big struggle in your life is and everybody has their lot right you have things that you've struggled with whether you struggled in school or with work or you struggle in relationships with or maybe with money or maybe your health you've had big health struggles there's stuff in your story that you've struggled with uniquely to you that are absolutely the things that are going to support your evolution or growth spiritually psychologically psyche the psyche growth i mean it's this soul growth concept but even if you have mixed feelings about soul this is not meant to be necessarily a religious episode it's about seeking to have a relationship with the part of you that's unconscious and so Jung does it through dreams some people do it through prayer and relationship with god or gods or religion and religion church organized religion is different from this spiritual pursuit i i just i want to kind of uncouple this i think it's just we're so past this now like the argument that people don't believe in the church it's like aren't we past that by now aren't we past like you can choose you can choose and if you don't like the church you don't like the church but you can choose where and how you want to go about this but I think what's non-negotiable is that you have to go along this journey. So choose the forces, choose the representations and how you want to talk about this, the influences. What I have found comfort in has to do with my background, my upbringing, and a tradition that I was raised with. And so that's what brings me a sense of comfort is studying this in the context of thousands of, of years of stories like Horus and Isis to 
Hinduism, which is also remarkably old, and stories like Kali or Brahma, and then stories in Christianity like the Black Madonna of Einsiedeln or Maria Vistritsa in Croatia. These stories that have stood the test of time, whether it's centuries or millennia, to me, speak to how foundational they are to our human condition. And so if you don't want to, I think you can see this from a psychological and I think you can see this from a spiritual up to you. But I think just saying that you don't believe in the spiritual nature of things, you don't believe in the unknown. It, it's denying half of reality, in my opinion, because there are things that are unknown. There are things that are uncontrollable. There are things that are out of your purview, out of your conscious perception that you're not aware of. And to say those things don't exist, I think limits you. I really do. <laughs> so, and in the limited me, the only reason I say that is not to judge you, but is to say they limited me to, you know, the amount, to the amount that I thought I knew things, I'm always shown that I really don't. And that my best bet is to become curious, open, receptive to information, people, ideas, research that I haven't seen yet, because that me being open and receptive, that is what allows me to see things as they arise that I need to see. And so, I mean, where are we going with this? I, I can't say I have an exact agenda other than to really honor the fact that through the most difficult time in my life, I have learned so much. And I just hope that if you're in a difficult point in your life, you know that it's shaping you and that there's something to learn, even though it sucks in the moment. And, you know, I had to tell myself every day that even though I was in physical pain, I was in emotional pain, I was grieving, that I, I could feel that I was different from the moment it occurred, you know, five in the morning, eight in the morning, being at the hospital for 24 hours in complete, you know, my instinct was to say in complete hell, but you know what? It wasn't in some ways it was hellish for sure. Like no question about it. In some ways it was exceptionally hellish, whether it's, you know, the hospital putting you in the same place, putting me in the same place as women birthing healthy children. Just that is torture enough, I think, for anyone to endure. But in the moment within myself, this quote really, quotation really shines true, which is, she is, well, let me read you the whole thing. I just highlighted a bit of it. And it's about Kali, which is again, that Hindu goddess. And um, it's from Sri Ramakrishna in reply to a question regarding the blackness of Kali. Is Kali my divine mother of a black complexion? She appears black because she is viewed from a distance, but when intimately known, she is no longer so. The sky appears blue at a distance, but when you go near and take it in your hand, you find that it is colorless. And so the idea there, at least to me, is that it seems dark, it seems black, but when you're in it, when you're in it, when I was in the darkest, difficult, most difficult moment where I felt like I was in this isolated, alone, there was no one that could take me out of it. There's no one that could help me. No one could take that pain, suffering away. It was just me there in it. No, no medication could have removed. They could try, but no medication can remove 
what pain exists in losing a child. And in that moment, it wasn't dark. I felt closest to what people call God that I ever have in my entire life. And God is said to be the representation of everything good. So how could I have felt closest to that? They say, you know, the veil is thin in childbirth. What is that? What veil? Well, the veil between, I suppose, conscious and unconscious or the spiritual veil. And so in my most, my biggest trial to date of a delivery of a of a dead stillborn child in that most harrowing experience that the depths of difficulty I was closest to God I was closest to that spiritual nature I mean and I've spoken to other mothers of children that are alive and every single mother that I have spoken with in that moment of childbirth felt like they were the veil was thin whatever that means that the the this reality or and the interesting thing is with that is this feeling that you're transcending some physicality the interesting thing though is that childbirth is such a primal physical earthy thing or experience process you know the process of childbirth is such a primitive one it's such a i mean it's we wouldn't be here as humans if we didn't procreate and replicate and so this idea of childbirth is so primal in nature and so what's interesting is the feminine that eros the the creative is earthy again darkness soil like the of the earth of matter and so how funny that to get <laughs> to get exposed to this highest realm of of awareness or spirituality or connection with god or universe or this unity feeling of being one with everything or however you want to explain this feeling of wholeness you've got to go to the depths of darkness and matter the, the the depths of earthy or human experience. And so doesn't that make complete sense that when you're fully in this human experience, that's so human, raw, real, it's not curated for Instagram. It's not perfect and manicured. It's, it's this like, and that's what grief and death does, I think, is it brings you like even being at my grandmother's funeral and seeing and feeling, I mean, I was just so in the depths of grief and it was this suffering moment. Like there was no, you have moments where you feel like you can moderate your emotion and you can be acceptable or, or follow the norms. Right. But there are these moments of deep grief where it's just like, there's no, there's no choice, but to feel the weight of the grief that is present for you in your body from this difficult experience. And in that weight, I've never felt so human similarly again and i don't want to just romanticize suffering it's like okay yes there are moments of pure joy and bliss that give you that same connection to wow everything is so amazing and life is just such a miracle and so perfect and that is the the death of you as that maiden and into motherhood when every mother that i've seen or spoken to sees their child it's this 
from the from the depths of of pain or of the difficulty of childbirth out comes this miracle of life which is a joy and so it's this you know the the depths of the depths to the highs of the highs in life again they seem inextricably linked somehow so anyhow, if I continue to read, Heinrich Zimmer gives an interesting background of the dynamics of Kali's personality. The energy of life is both destructive and creative and in fact are one in the same process. Life feeds on life. In the end, every creature becomes food for another. The aging and dying generation is to be replaced by the younger. She gives to one and takes from another. That's what I was saying about Kali, right? Time, she takes from one and gives to another. And so... Of course, we want to just live forever and not discuss or acknowledge the part where it means that the music stops and the story ends. But I think the fact that the music stops and the story ends, I think the fact that we age and die, I think that concept gives us a lease on, of, on life and the urgency to live now and the the proper amount of reverence for the opportunity and privilege it is to be alive. If you know that you're going to die and you understand that you're going to die, you are going to take what you can out of this life and give all you can into this life. So it's not just about taking, but it's about giving. You're going to soak it all in, in terms of your experience and you're going to give as much as you possibly can. And so I think also more of the reading I've done is around, you know, these women and motherhood and exactly that women have children and then they want to improve the world because they want to leave it to a future generation. And so again, it's this because you're going to leave behind something and that's even in writing my book, People want to leave a legacy behind. Why? Well, part of it is egotistical, but why? Why does the ego want that? Well, because if your memory survives, if your tradition survives, then you are continuing on a legacy that was built on the shoulders of generations well beyond yourself. It's not about you. It might You might think it's about you, but it's not about you because it's shoulders upon shoulders. You're standing on the shoulders of past generations. I have a client right now who's going through different family epochs and going through like the great grandparents, the grandparents, the parents, and then um, the clients generation. And so what's interesting to see is what my client is struggling with and reckoning with and, and working through. It's interesting to understand how his father's generation has shaped his generation, how his grandfather's generation shapes his father and him, how his great grandfather shapes and what what the expectations on the masculine, the expectations of the men in that family were. What were the expectations? How were emotions expressed? People, did they, you know, so many cultures used alcohol as a means, especially for men, alcohol, alcoholism was rampant and it still is rampant in many family structures. What was it? Or was it kind and open and loving? What were the terms of being a man? in the household that you grew up in or being a woman what were the terms of what was family what was okay what wasn't okay i i we think that we're just this isolated person right that you're this individual person and you do have to cultivate your individual sense of self but if i've learned anything i mean the amount of comfort i've gained from a rosary that where i had not picked up 
I, if you asked me five years ago, if I was going to pick up a rosary, I would have just probably laughed at you and had no understanding of why I would even think to do that. Why would I bother to do that? I, I would not have seen the utility or had a connection to it, but through this immense suffering that I've been through and through the death of my grandmother, understanding it's not even an understanding, a conscious understanding. It's like this in my bones feeling of comfort because I, I can hear her voice praying to me. I can hear her voice praying to me when I pray. And I can hear, it gives me goosebumps praying, thinking, you know, like I feel connected to her and so many practices. There's also like the native American or indigenous population. Their practices are absolutely absolutely tied to connecting with the ancestors and that's the idea is that your dreams or these voices that speak to you it's it's their essence connecting with you and and that's what the rosary gives to me it might not be the rosary for you and that's okay i'm not here to tell anybody what to do i think what i would say is this has been an immensely fruitful exploration for me and so if you're looking to take your self-awareness if you're looking to take your spiritual exploration either starting it or take it further if you're looking to psychologically understand yourself if you find yourself looking at things based on the context but not looking at them based on more than what is immediately apparent in this book oh i love this part let me read it to you page 82 so it says, well, let's see, where can I start? Okay. In its own way, the spectacle that Einstein captures is psychic spiritual experience. In her left arm, the Madonna holds the child, the reconciling third thing. We talked about this, right? The third thing is the creation of masculine and feminine into this new awareness. He is the new consciousness of mankind, yet he must go the way of his mother as well as of his father. In other words, he is born not only a child of the collective standards of the time, which for him and our own time have long been patriarchal. Patriarchal. He is not just the child of the heritage of the collective with its consciously formulated insights, worldviews, and religious statements, as rich as they may be. He is also the child of the dark, uncertain side of life. His mother is the uncanny, ambiguous, indecisive, yet fascinating side of the psyche that comes with a wisdom of its own and shakes the individual into a clear understanding that there is more to life than what is immediately apparent. And so this is what happens when we analyze dreams. This is what happens when a client comes to me and says, here's the situation. Here's what happened. Step one, step two, step three. Well, there's more to every situation than what is immediately apparent. There's more to the situation than the core facts, right? Yes, of course. That when you look at a situation in a different way, you see more, more is revealed to you. You get a different perspective. You have more understanding. Same, I mean, this is the exact idea. What you first see is never the whole picture. And so the idea is that unconscious darkness, the uncertainty, when you look at it, when you're willing to look at it, the whole idea is that that is what will give you more understanding. So shakes the individual into a clear understanding that there's more to life than what is immediately apparent. So even if you just take that from this and say, there's more to life than everything I think I know, let me, let me go and explore 
the darkness, the things that I haven't shed light on, shed light, attention, awareness, focus. What are those things in your life that you haven't looked at that are maybe scary? Kids are scared of the dark. Sometimes I'm scared of the dark. <laughs> if I'm in a, you know, a home alone and it's dark, that can be scary. So I get it. And we all have the tendency to want to be comfortable and safe. And believe me, I, I get that. Control, safe, comfortable, known. Yeah, why not? Well, why not? Because it's not the truth. Even if you try to convince yourself, there will always be that part of you that has a bit of fear or a bit of uncertainty, a bit of what if, what if, what if something happens? Well, instead of pretending like it doesn't exist, what if we look it in the eye? And that's what I do with clients all the time too, is anything they're afraid of or worried about or nervous if it's not working or they're unclear, it's like, okay, let's, let's unpack it. Because that's the only way to take a big bad wolf and, and make it into a friendly puppy dog, I guess. I don't know what that analogy, but you know, to unpack it and make it manageable is to look at it and pick it apart and see what you can do about it. And then know the parts that you can't do anything about. And then it's like, okay, so what do you do with the parts that you can't do anything about? Well, have faith. Okay, well, what's faith? Believing in things unseen. Okay, how should you believe in something unseen? Well, isn't that the thesis of this whole, if this was a paper, I mean, the whole thesis of this is that there are things that are unseen. I'm not telling you what they are. I'm not trying to tell you, you have to believe in this and this religion or this and this practice or this God or this story, Jesus. You don't have, you don't have to believe in any representation per se, but the representations contain wisdom because they're showing you in a story format this exact concept faith is believe in things unseen belief in things unseen well if there are things that are seen you know that you're you look a certain way your house is a certain way your car looks a certain way your partner looks a certain way okay well do you believe that there are things that are unseen do you believe in the darkness do you believe in the parts that are not clear to you yet that have not been revealed the next steps in your journey the future is unseen. So what do you believe about the future? Do you have faith in the future? Do you have faith that things will come to be in the way that they have to be? I mean, or do you believe that things just come as they will? Maybe that's good too, right? Just stay in the present moment. I mean, Buddhism for sure is focused on the present moment and we get into suffering when we're focused on the future or the past because they're no, no longer in existence and we only have this present moment. So of course, that's one way to look at it is to say, maximize your life is to focus on the present moment, sure. But even within the present moment, <laughs> there are things unseen. Again, if we take a scenario, when someone comes to a coaching session and they want to examine a scenario, whether it's their work life or otherwise, their personal life, I've been lately doing a lot of work with relationships and it's always the case that after a session we are bringing to surface to life we're taking things that were in a black box out of their perception or understanding of a situation whether of themselves or the, the other person involved um, other parties involved we're taking the black box and we're pulling things out of it to create new awareness out of that black box of things unseen and so to me, faith is, yeah, there's a lot that I don't understand and a lot that I don't know. And I do believe that it's 
things will be revealed to me as they need to be and that I am on the pursuit of understanding and knowledge to look into that black box. But that black box will always be there of things that I don't know or under the ocean things. It'll always be there. And I have respect for the fact that it'll always be there, just like I have respect for death because I have respect for life. And so I don't take either side of that equation lightly anymore the way I used to. So there's a lot more I could probably do here. Maybe we'll do some other episodes on, I don't know, maybe specifically into the Black Madonna, specifically into Kali, you know, looking into just their history. And I think I kind of was broad on this one, but this episode really goes out to my, my, my daughter and all of the, all of the children who have died, whether inside of their mothers or, or not, all of the women that have experienced miscarriage or loss, everyone that's experienced death or suffering through grief of, of loss and death, I, I think my heart goes out to you. I, I feel for you. I have felt that pain. I understand at least to some degree, even though every experience is so unique, but my heart is with you. And I hope that you can find some some peace within the suffering knowing that it's it's not for nothing and that i'm sure you've been reborn to, to whatever degree you have certainly been changed by any amount of death you've faced whether it's a parent a sibling a child a partner a friend um you're just never the same so here's to the here's to the new you the reborn you out of out of the depths of despair and difficulty and um i just wish you so much love and peace as you go through this and if you're not going through this at the moment i just thank you for sticking it out and listening to this episode i know it can feel heavy or dark and in some i mean it is it is heavy and it is dark but again i while i wouldn't wish this experience on anyone i can't imagine my life going any other way for me to actually hold this in the high regard that I do now. I think if I didn't have such an intense experience, I would have never understood how powerful and potent death and difficulty really is. So I wish you well. I think there's more to say on this, but I hope this is a start. And I hope to see you next time as we consider the discussion and definitely for the discussion with uh, Robert Greene. It's going to, I think it'll be one you find interesting. So thanks for listening and take care until we meet again. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this episode today. It really helps the show when you like, review, subscribe, or donate to support the effort to continue producing amazing episodes just like this one. I look forward to seeing you again in another episode very soon and take good care until then.